Alright, well it is indeed a blessing to be here with you this morning. And I trust that as we open the Word of God, we will be encouraged and blessed. Unlike many of my sermons, we will be all over the Scriptures this morning. So uh, get your page-turning finger limber and be prepared. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for who You are. We thank You for this privilege uh, You have given us to come into Your presence, to learn from Your Word, to serve a living Savior. A Savior who is not dead in the grave, but who is alive forevermore. And a Savior who didn't need angels to roll away the stone. The stone was not rolled away so that He could get out, but rather the stone was rolled away so that we could look in and see that it was empty and that You kept Your Word. We praise You for this. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Alright, well by way of introduction, the, 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 uh, some of you might have gotten a little preview of this during the break, but, my, but, the, but the title of my message today is The Power of the Resurrection. So that's the theme that we will be considering if you're taking notes. Um, and my introduction comes from Matthew chapter 28 in the first ten verses. Matthew chapter 28 starting in verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him... The keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angels answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy, and did run and bring the disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall they see me. And there's a couple uh, things that stick out to me in this introductory passage. One is that um, the keepers of the tomb feared and trembled. And as we talked about in the breaking of the bread, they knew that they saw something that wasn't typical. And they went back and they told their leaders and their leaders said, tell the people that the disciples stole the body. See, I believe that these religious leaders made intellectual assent to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
There are many people in this world today, in our neighborhoods today, who could tell you that Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day. They know it. But my question for you this morning is, do you know Him? There's a difference. There's a very real difference. And I hope that as we continue to open the Word this morning, that we will see the difference and that we will embrace it. And then the angel says, you're going to see the Lord. And then who do they meet as they're running back to the disciples? They meet the Lord himself. And he says to them, go, tell my brethren to meet me. Do you ever think of yourself as a brother to the Lord Jesus Christ? Through God's grace, we are given entrance into the family of God. We have the adoption of sons, and so in many ways, God views us in the same way that He views His Son. Precious and beloved. How wonderful that is. My first point this morning is that Jesus lives to die no more. Jesus lives to die no more. And as a sub-point, this gives us hope for the future. Romans 14, verses 7 to 9, read this way. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose, and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. That's something that many unbelievers, and even sometimes us as believers, have a hard time grasping. Because a lot of people say, well, if God was so good, why does he allow suffering in this world? And a lot of that comes from the fact that they think that death is the end. But I know that death is just the beginning. And that God is the, the Lord of the dead and the living. That when we die, we pass immediately to one, or two, one of two places. Either we are immediately present with the Lord, or we are in hell for all eternity. There's no middle place where we can find ourselves. But the good news is that you can make a choice for heaven today. And I would encourage you to do that. Could someone read for me by way of cross-reference on this first point? Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. And this was referred to in the breaking of bread. I love the way the Holy Spirit works. He knows the truths we need to have pounded into our heads, and so He makes us consider them over and over again. But let's read these verses together. Does somebody have that? And when I saw Him, I fell at His feet as dead. But He laid His right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am who lived, and He was dead. And behold, I, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and of death. 
Did you catch that? He didn't say just, I am he that liveth, and end there. He said, I am he that liveth, and I am alive forevermore. You know, there were people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that God raised from the dead, but they would die again. I always wonder what that was like for Lazarus when he was risen from the dead. And then, ironically, the Pharisees wanted to kill him because of Jesus' miracle. Can you imagine that? Uh, You rise from the dead. You're with your sisters again. I don't know what he experienced during those three days. He probably was not allowed or even able to talk about it. But then you find out that the Pharisees want to kill you. Because, well, you didn't stay dead. And they had a serious problem with that. But he died again. But one day, there's coming a day when we will live to die no more. Personally, I think I might fear death a little bit more than I should as a believer. But let me tell you this. One of my favorite... Uh, songs in our hymnal is Christ Returneth. And I love the verse that says, O joy, O delight, should we go without dying. That's, That's my dream, is to go without dying. But if I die, I know that He will be with me. He says that He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And so... I know that I need not fear death. John MacArthur says this, The truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of gospel truth. The resurrection is the pivot on which all of Christianity turns, and without which none of the other truths would matter. Without the resurrection, Christianity would be so much wishful thinking, taking its place alongside all other human philosophy and religious speculation. I don't think we talk enough about the resurrection. The resurrection is why we are here. The resurrection is why this church exists because Jesus lives. He lives. And that should never get old to us. I admit sometimes it does. Sometimes I say in my head, yeah, Jesus lives, but do you realize that you live because He lives? Do you realize that the power that raised Him from the dead is the power that is imparted to us by the Holy Spirit? My second point this morning, through the power of the resurrection, Jesus gives us peace. Sin has been dealt with and death has lost its sting. The thief on the cross knows this all too well. He was hanging there. Speculation is that he was one of Barabbas' cohorts and that Barabbas was supposed to be on that middle cross. But regardless of whether that is the case or not, surely Barabbas deserved the cross that our Lord and Savior took. 
And as that man is hurling insults into Jesus' face, we know that he was because it says that those that were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. But at some point, through this ridicule, he looked at Jesus and he realized this man has done nothing wrong. And he placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ by simply saying to the Lord, Remember when you come into your kingdom. And that came true. For Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily I say unto you today, you will be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow, not three weeks from now, not at the last day, but today. Oh, what a wonderful truth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to be jumping around the chapter a little bit, I encourage you to read the whole thing when you have the time. But let me just read this and then I'll tell you the exact references that it comes from. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also in vain. But, and but is actually one of the most exciting words in the Bible, because when you see it, something is about to happen. Or something changes the face of what we just read. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, verses 13 and 14, verse 20, and then verses 55 to 57. And I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I know that in some areas of my life I think I'm doing pretty well. But I want the time to be done when doing pretty well is enough. There are areas of my life where I, I try to shut the door but then I know how to open it. And I find myself back in some of the sinful habits that I have. So it's not enough just to shut the door. You must padlock the door. You must get rid of it. You must see your sin the way God sees your sin, as evil and repugnant. I, rem I, rem I was just listening to an interview yesterday on a, a show called Sports Spectrum, which comes from Radio Bible Class, and they were talking to 
a gentleman that used to play for the Baltimore Ravens. And he said, when I first became a Christian, I struggled a lot still with sin. And he said, you know what the reason was? The reason was I confessed my sin, but I still looked at my sin. And it looked pretty good. And I know that sometimes I fall into that trap. But the, the Word of God says that we are not to look at our sin. We are to turn away from our sin. We are to turn away from our sin. And I would encourage you to pray for me as I pray for you. That that would be the testimony of grace and truth. Christian fellowship. I sit before you today as a humble man who is not perfect. But I'm realizing all the more in these past few weeks the importance of being serious about my sin. By way of cross-reference, could someone read Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21? And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who once were alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. He made peace with God through the blood of His cross. He took our penalty. He laid it on Himself. You remember in the garden when they said, we come seeking Jesus of Nazareth and He said, I am they fell backward. There was no way they could take him. There was no way. He had to choose to let them bind him. He had to choose to let them hit him. He had to choose to let them spit on him. And he had to choose to let them nail him. And he did that because when he looked through time, he saw you. And he saw me. We think about this always in the abstract. But I encourage you today to think of yourself by name, in your mind's eye, Think about what it was like for him to stretch out his hands for you. Think about what it was like for him to have his feet nailed together for you. Think about what it was like to have your mother standing beside the cross and watching you suffer. He did that for you. He did that for his brothers who rejected him. 
He did that even for the Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross. And as he was praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We often think of that in the abstract too. But you know what? It seems that he was working that already, even at the foot of Calvary. For what is it that the centurion said? He said, surely this man was the Son of God. And I hope and pray that someone found him and told him the rest of the story. Which is that the Son of God not only was the Son of God, but He is the Son of God, and He will be the Son of God for all eternity. Amen. I saw this quote by Matthew Henry. I thought it was very interesting. Never quite thought about it this way, but... I think you will enjoy it. It says, When Christ died, he left a will in which he gave his soul to his father, his body to Joseph of Arimathea, his clothes to the soldiers, and his mother to John. But to his disciples, who had left all to follow him, he left no silver or gold, but something far better, his peace. How great it is to know that we today, his followers, can still experience his peace. Now, I've had kind of a rough week this week. I had a, a particularly rough day when I was wishing for all that I had in me that I could get out of this chair and leave this crippled body behind. I'm frustrated that some of the things that I want to do have most certainly been delayed by the fact that I need to say But days like today bring things back into perspective. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that one day I will stand before Him. I will stand. And then I will fall on my face. And after I pick myself up and he wipes away my tears, I will spend all of eternity rejoicing with him. And I, I'm planning to be doing a lot of running around. I know I don't have a Bible verse for that, but I do know that this corruptible body will put on incorruption and this mortal will put on immortality and I will not be the same man I am today. Number three, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus changes people. For this, we look at the man Peter. And I see a lot of myself in Peter. Those who know me know that I can be impetuous at times. But uh, you look at Peter in the end of the Gospels. Particularly this morning, I want to look at Luke chapter 22, verses 54 to 62. This is after Jesus is arrested. Of course, we know that Peter had just cut off the servant of the high priest here, Malchus. 
and Jesus puts it back on, which first of all, I kind of wonder what was going through Malchus's mind at this point. Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. I don't know about you, but it would change my life if my ear got torn off and somebody picked it up and put it back on for me. Just to think that Jesus took the time to do a miracle right there in the garden when he knew he was going to die. That just, it, it boggles my mind that he would do that. He never got too busy to consider others. He was considering others the whole time he was dying. He provided a home for his mother from the cross. He provided salvation to the thief from the cross. And all this after so much physical pain and torture. But this is what it says. Then took they them and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, they were sat down together, and Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know not. And after a little while, another psalm said, Thou art also one of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another, after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Then Peter said, Man, I do not know what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked on Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the cock crew, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept. I like this the Luke the Luke portrayal of this because Luke talks about the detail that none of the other gospels have. And that is that Jesus looked Peter in the eye. Can you imagine having the very one who you denied look you in the eye. This was the man who Peter had said three years before, depart from me, for I am a wicked man. And Jesus' response to him was, fear not. Now he's seeing the eyes of his Lord again. He loses it. But he goes out and he weeps bitterly. You know what Jesus said about those who weep? He said, Blessed are those who weep, for they will be comforted. And when Jesus rose again, you know what he said? He said, Go tell my disciples and Peter that I am coming to see them. Why did he say and Peter? Because he wanted Peter to know your sin is forgiven. Your transgression is covered. And I love you, Peter, and I want you to be used of me. 
and we can look by way of cross-reference and see some of that. The transformation of Peter. Pre-resurrection, he is a scared man. He runs for his life. He denies knowing Christ. Let's look at the post-resurrection Peter in Acts 2.21-24. Does somebody have that? Acts 2, 21-24? And it shall come to pass that whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. That, that's, I'm, yeah. right, okay. uh, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosened the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. This is Peter. This is the same man who fled, and the same man who denied. The difference is, he's living in the power of the resurrection. He's living in the power of the Holy Spirit. A Holy Spirit that is such a power in his life that people say, he's an unlearned fisherman. Yet we marvel at what he says. Why? Because we know that he's been with Jesus. Peter was still a man, but he was a man in whom the Holy Spirit dwelt. And he would have struggles. <laughs> Paul would have to talk to him when he visited him. And Peter retreated from the Gentile believers. And Paul would stood him to his face because he said, You're being a hypocrite, Peter. You're not doing right. So Peter certainly wasn't perfect, but he was blood-bought. He was paid for. And he was spirit-filled. Adrian Rogers once said, The same Jesus who turned water into wine can transform your home, your life, your family, and your future. He is still in the miracle-working business. And his business is the business of transformation. He has transformed my life. And he can transform yours. God is so marvelous and amazing. I never thought as a young teenager, that I would ever be up here preaching the Word of God. There was a time as a young teenager when I felt useless. When I was, I won't definitively say I was suicidal, but I was as close to suicidal as I ever want to get. God 
took my baby brother, who was seemingly healthy, and he passed away while he was taking a nap. And I'll never forget in the weeks following that, in the months following that, I was so bitter at God. I yelled at him. I said, God, why would you take him and leave me? Because I am utterly useless. But see, God's in the transformation business. And it was at that point that God began to break down my defenses and say, I didn't just save you for later. I didn't just save you to go to heaven. I saved you so that I can use you now. Amen. And it's not about me changing your outside. It's about me changing your inside and letting me in to do the work to which I have called you. Amen. It's about God saying to me, for it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. His pleasure. And I know in my weakness I get caught up in my own pleasure. I've been guilty of that on more than one occasion. But this I know. God is a forgiving God. And God is a faithful God. Amen. And He can do for you what He has done for me. You know, there's one thing that nobody, but nobody, can take away from you. And that is that you are made in the image of Almighty God. God said, let us make man after our likeness. He made you in His image and He has a plan for your life. Seek Him and He will reveal it to you. Final point. Jesus gives us power to walk in new life today. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is from Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they which are of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they which... They that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Brothers and sisters, God wants us to live in victory. And there's no more condemnation for us. Even when we sin, because we will slip up, we're not perfect. Jesus stands before God the Father and He says to God the Father, I have paid for that sin. It's taken care of. The accuser of the brethren has no power here. 
Put your burdens on the Lord, and He will sustain you. The power of the resurrection wasn't just for that day in 33 AD. It's for today in 2014. And it's for however many tomorrows God gives us. Could somebody read very quickly Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 and 13? Galatians 5, verses 1 and 13. And pass therefore in liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another, which is written on the top of resting homes. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great verse, and it's a good reminder. By love, serve one another. See, that's another thing people don't understand about liberty. They think liberty means I'm going to do whatever I want to do because I have liberty to do it. You know, there are some things that we have liberty to do even as believers that perhaps we should not do. What was it that Paul said? He said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. And so, as we go about our daily lives, May we think about the way our actions affect other people in our lives. May we realize that our calling is to, by love, serve one another. To build each other up in the kingdom of God. J.I. Packer said, Your faith will not fail you while God sustains it. You are not strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. All I can say to that is, praise God Almighty. But perhaps you don't know the Lord. If so, you can't experience any of this resurrection power that I've been talking about. The Bible says that if you believe on the Son of God, you will have life. You will no longer be under condemnation. What a great day it would be on Resurrection Sunday to experience the resurrection in your own life. To see God permeate every aspect of your life, from your thought life to your actions, to your relationship with your brothers and sisters. If you're married with your spouse, and may we realize that we have the power within us to live the resurrected life. We are not who we were. I'm just going to close with this quote, and that is, I don't remember who said it, but he said, God didn't come to make bad people good. 
He came to make dead people alive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time spent in your word. We thank you for your power and your love for us. We thank you that the tomb is empty and that we can look in and see the cloth that you were wrapped in and see that it's empty. We thank you for John who said, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. We don't have to guess, Lord. We can know. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.